Well, amen. God is with us, and we should rejoice. So praise the Lord for that. I'd like to welcome you here officially this morning for our 1030 worship service. Uh, we are missing David. He's at home today, and Miss Cammie. They both have the coronavirus, but they're doing well and on the mend, and uh, we certainly want to pray for them and pray for our entire church that God will protect us and that if we do get it, we'll get well soon. We are blessed to have the Mayfields help, help us out today in leading our worship together. And we look forward to looking into the Word of God. Today will be our third installment of our Advent candle. And it will be the good news of the gospel. And that's what I will preach on. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we should all say to glo glory to God for that news. And so let's pray together. Great God, we thank you for the invitation today for the body of believers. Uh, Lord, your people here at First Baptist Church to come together and worship you. Uh, Lord, to carry on in profound continuity, Lord, the worship that is due your name uh, for all eternity. Lord, we join uh, the angels in glory as they worship you this moment. And we thank you, Lord God, uh, for the blessings of life that we take so much for granted we thank you most of all for the spiritual blessing of salvation and the good news of the gospel, which we will celebrate today through singing and through the preaching of the word. We thank you that you have come to seek and to save on that kind of mission. The mission is what you came for, to save souls. Lord, speak to our hearts today through the reading of scripture, through uh, the singing of songs through the proclamation of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing joy to the world. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. 
Joyful 
This next song uh, we're going to sing is about how God is coming down and being with us. And he comes to bring peace and to be light and to bring life. And in Matthew chapter 1, it talks about this. Uh, Verse 21, it says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall come. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us.
morning. We are the Snowdens. We're going to be doing our uh, Advent reading for today. Uh, today we light the third red candle. It's the candle of good news. It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world to save his people from their sins. And the angel said to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This great joy comes through his perfect sacrifice on the cross that paid the penalty for our sins. There is no greater good news than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be reading out of Luke 2 8 through 21. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were fe- filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let us pray. Father God, we have so much to be thankful for for this time of season, um, just for friends, for a, a, a body of believers that we can come and join with worship today. And uh, we thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus, that he would bring love and peace and comfort, uh, that he would be our redeemer, our savior. That is the good news that we should proclaim uh, this season, this day, and all days throughout the year. Let us not for, forget uh, the good news as we go about the new year. And uh, we thank you for uh, coming, for dying for our sins. And for that, we'll always be grateful. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we praise God for that good news. And uh, in a time where it's uh, tough to find hope, um, we have a living hope uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. First Peter 1.3 says, um, Blessed be, uh, to the, to, blessed be um, our God and Father, our Lord Jesus, according to his great mercy. It's caused us to be born again um, and to give us living hope in the resurrection of Christ. And we just, we just celebrate that and, and look forward to hearing Pastor talk about that. Let's sing this together, Living Hope. Break the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. 
desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. Stand together, let's sing this together. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to where my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my Salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Amen. You may be seated. On December 17, 1903, taking you a few years back, Orville and Wilbur Wright finally succeeded in keeping their homemade airplane aloft for 59 seconds. They were ecstatic, to say the least, and as part of their excitement, they rushed, to the, rushed a telegram to their sister who lived in Dayton, Ohio, and their simple message was this. First sustained flight today, 59 seconds, hope to be home for Christmas. 
She was, of course, enthralled so much with the success of her brothers that she immediately sent a telegram to the newspaper, gave it to the editor, and here's what was on the front page, splashed on the front page of the paper regarding the Wright brothers. The headline read, Popular Local Bicycle Merchants to be Home for the Holidays. <laughs> so the newspaper editor missed the main point of the historic telegram. I want to remind you that each year millions of people are equally oblivious to the true meaning of Christmas. We know this, don't we? And unfortunately, even Baptists are not uh, able to get away from the trappings and the allurements of seasonal trappings, should I say, uh, so that we miss the true meaning of Christmas. So this Christmas, I want to make sure you see the most important elements of the beloved message. And so today, we took part in the third installment, which was the candle of good news. You understand we could name these numerous things, but this year, the way the Sundays went, we started talking about one prophetic text, Isaiah 9, and then we, uh, we discussed the deity of Christ out of Hebrews 10. <clears throat> now we bring ourselves to another aspect of the incarnation, which is the good news of salvation that our God brings to us. So today, we're just going to use one verse, okay? Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Uh, you perhaps learned this verse in VBS or maybe at Sunday school. Or if you were in Bible drill like I was when I was a kid, uh, you probably learned the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so what an awesome verse it is. And it's a reminder in one sentence that is very clear the reason that Christ came. Now think about this for a moment. The world has its uh, own interpretation of what Jesus came to do or what he meant or who he was. Uh, many people in the group called the quest for the historical Jesus, uh, those guys just simply end up saying he was a good teacher. Or maybe he was a reformist. Maybe he was just trying to purify uh, Israelite religion. What, what was he actually doing? Well, it's really good to let the Bible tell you who Jesus is and what he did. And today we're going to see actually the words of Christ regarding what that mission was for. And truly, conversion is at the heart of the mission of God leaving heaven to be born as a baby in Bethlehem and thus to eventually pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. So today we're going to talk about why God became man. hope this is simple, yet I hope it is clear and to the point of what Christmas is all about. We don't want to miss the headlines. Uh, folks, think about it. The greater the news, the greater the name, the greater the news. There's no greater name than Jesus Christ. It's the name above every name. Let's find out exactly why he came. Here's what the Word of God says, Luke chapter 19. I'm assuming that you know verses 1 through 9. Right? I hope you know the story of Zacchaeus. Here's a little bitty guy who's accomplished a lot of things in the world's eyes of being wealthy, even though he cheated people. And here he is up a tree lost. And then he's going to be down a tree saved. Unbelievable, the power of Christ to convert a soul. Conversion. So it is, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There it is. Merry Christmas. Straightforward. Straightforward terminology. First, the Son of God came to reveal God to us. Don't miss this. 
I hope you understand that that term, the Son of Man, has come, has Old Testament ramifications. Daniel chapter 7. Y'all remember that book that we preached through? Verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. That's the Son of Man. That is the first time we see that terminology given to us in the Bible. And so Son of Man actually becomes the number one designation of how Christ would refer to himself. If you go through the Gospels, he'll use son of man more than any other designation. But understand something. In the person of Jesus, God has come to earth. So the Almighty has entered our world. The, the infinite God has become finite man. The eternal has invaded time. And our God is outside of time. And yet, when the Son of God condescended to earth and was born with a title of the Son of Man, which emphasizes his humanity, understand that he added humanity. He was the Son of God for all eternity. So, theologians call this the incarnation. What does that mean? God in human flesh. John 1.14, and the Word was made flesh dwelt among us and we beheld his glory so the Bible calls him Emmanuel God with us now it's pretty obvious that his birth differs from our birth doesn't it uh, he voluntarily came in obedience to his father's will Hebrews 10 Jesus said in the volume of the book it is written of me I come to do your will O God so here's the son of God voluntarily obeying his father to condescend from heaven and be born in Bethlehem. But you know what? You didn't have any say-so in your birth. Did you? No choice in that whatsoever. But he came in obedience to his father. He came according to the plan of God. Galatians 4.4 In the fullness of time, when God decided it was the right time, everything aligned in Rome with roads and a census uh, to get Mary and Joseph back over to register so that Jesus Christ would be born in Bethlehem just like the word of God. Y'all understand that it was the right time. Uh, everything was perfect. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin. It was God's plan. God himself entered the human race in the form of a tiny baby. But don't miss this first important point that, the, that Jesus, that the son of God, as Jesus Christ, has revealed God to us. He's the son of man because he was first the son of God. You can't miss that. If you do, you'll miss Christmas. Before he was a baby in a manger, he was the exalted king upon his throne. Before he came to planet earth, he sat in splendor on a great throne. And Isaiah tells us that seraphim hang upon every single word of the son of God. Legions of angels wait anxiously to do whatever he wants them to do. He not only controlled the universe, he owned the universe. As James Stewart once said, behind Calvary is the throne of heaven. Think about it. That little baby born in Bethlehem who grew up in Nazareth could point to the hundreds 
of billions of galaxies and hundreds of billions of stars and say, mine. He could point to the sun, to the moon, and to every square foot on planet earth. And he could point to every person that has ever been created and say, mine. Every one of them. But I want to remind you, but this, this universe stretched from one end to the other is nothing compared to the wealth that our God had before he left heaven. Nothing compares. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, it's one of my favorite Christmas texts. We're not going to preach it this year, but I'm going to give it to you. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, you folks read your Bibles, for our sakes he became that through his poverty we might become rich. Well, Jesus said foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of God has nowhere to leave, lay his head. So when was he ever rich? For all eternity, before he came to earth, right? He was the Son of God. So I'm, I'm wanting to encourage you to recall his glory. When you read that phrase, the Son of Man has come, we're talking about the God of eternity. How do you measure that kind of wealth? Though he was rich, he became poor. I'm telling you, all the computers and calculators and accountants in the world put together could not begin to measure the wealth of Christ. How do you measure the worth of heaven? How do you measure the worth of omnipotence when you can do anything you want to and you've got the power to do it all? How do you measure the worth of omniscience where you know everything? How do you measure the worth of omnipresence where you can be everywhere at all times? But before he came to Bethlehem, he was a king on a throne. His rival, he was unrivaled. He was unquestioned. And he never knew a moment where he didn't get praise and honor and glory and adoration. And yet he would be willing voluntarily to leave the confines of that kind of glory to come down to this earth to save sinners like us. It's a reminder to, for us to recall his glory. A generation ago, C.S. Lewis put this doctrine in its proper perspective. Which doctrine? The incarnation. And he said... The central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. They say that God became man. C.S. Lewis said every other miracle prepares the way for this or results from this. And I would say amen. That is absolutely the truth. We believe God became man. And this is the central tenet of our faith. It's the point where we part company from Islam. It's where we part company from Judaism. Because both of those religions categorically reject the notion that Jesus was the Son of God or that God had an equal, the Son of God, or the personality of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So they would not believe that the Son of God was God and came down to this earth. To Christians, think about this, it's impossible to speak about God without speaking about Jesus because God became man in the person of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. So, at the heart of our faith is this certain truth. God has come down to us in the person of Jesus Christ. You understand, he didn't exist for all eternity as Jesus. He existed for all eternity as the Son of God. But when he came to this earth, he was given the name Jesus, Yeshua, the one who will save his people from their sins. Y'all getting this? They're kind of looking at me kind of strange. But that's the truth of God's word. Now we know what God is like. 
Remember? Jesus, the Son of God, became man in order to reveal God to us. He made him plain. Now, Scripture tells us this. Just flip over a couple of pages. John chapter 1. So I make this clear about what the Son of God has done. He's revealed God to us. Why? Because he is God. Let me show you. Chapter 1 of John's Gospel, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And note verse 18. It's a mouthful. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side. Who is that God? The Son of God. He has made him known. Jesus has revealed God to us. That's Christmas. The incarnation. Number two, the Son of God came on a significant mission. The Bible says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. What a mission. Jesus came looking for something, might I say, rather, he came looking for someone. What is our Lord like? What does the Bible say? Well, he's like a woman who lost a coin and searched her home until she found it. I like that. He's like a man who lost one sheep and went into the wilderness to find it. He's like the father who received back again the prodigal son. He came seeking sinners up a tree. He came seeking others by midnight, Nicodemus. And he also came seeking a woman who had been married five times. And the woman she was living with then was not her husband. The woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, he came seeking her. Jesus came seeking those caught in adultery. Remember that story? Blind beggars. Lepers, wild men living in tombs. He even came seeking self-righteous Pharisees who thought they didn't need him. Why? They thought, we don't need a physician. Well, Jesus would remind them, you don't know that unless you're sick. And you don't realize you're sick, but you are. So you need a physician. He came seeking fishermen. I know this is going to hurt your feelings, but he also came seeking politicians. He did. Read the Bible. And radicals and physicians and tax collectors... Rich men at the top and poor folk all the way at the bottom who no one would touch. He sought prostitutes and drunkards and they loved him for it. And even when he was dying on the cross, he was seeking the one hanging beside him. That's our God. And you will never understand him unless you see that clearly. Ruth saw it firsthand when she thought about the kinsman redeemer seeking her. Why have I found grace in your sight? All of us ought to ask that question. God, why did I find grace in your sight, knowing that I'm a stranger, knowing that I'm estranged from you and away from you? Why did I find grace? I believe that you won't know how deep the love of God's glory is, or should I say it this way? I want you to know that the deeper you go into God's glory, the deeper you will find yourself in the precious work of Christ in the cross. He came on a significant mission. Number three, the Son of God came because of the sinful condition of mankind. 
Notice what the text says. The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who were merely confused. Is that what it says? Those who were not functioning too well in society, thus they needed some kind of psychiatric help. What does the text say? He came to seek and to save, say it, the lost. Now, the word lost has almost gone out of style in Christian circles. Has it not? We talk about being estranged from God or being confused about our purpose in life or maybe turning over a new leaf or reformation or a new beginning and all of that is true. But it's kind of hard to improve on the biblical word lost because it gives us a condition of mankind. Search the scriptures, folks. Start in Genesis with Adam's sin and end in the final battle in Revelation and then go pick up the newspaper or watch the news and you'll find out that Jesus was right. The condition, the state of mankind is lost. That's what the Bible says. How do we explain what it means to be lost? I mean, it's kind of hard to give one definition, but I do remember Christmas time and going shopping when our kids were little, and they liked to maneuver in between the clothing. Your kids ever do that? Get under those racks and wander around, and we're just kind of doing our own thing. And you, you know, as a parent, though, you kind of got your eye over that way. But after a little while, when they pop out and they don't recognize, they've been disoriented, which that's a lot of the word lost of what it means. Disorients your life. But here's the deal. <clears throat> a little later, you start hearing, Mom, Dad. Especially when you remind them that, remind them that somebody can snatch you up. And they think about that. But that kind of conveys Isaiah's rendering in Isaiah 53, 6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. Now, I am grossly underestimating for you all the definition of sin and lostness. But I'm just giving you one example of what Isaiah would say to us. I'll give you some more in a few moments. But we all, by nature, go our own way. That's what the scripture teaches us. No one has to teach us to run from God. You were born running from God. We all want to do our own thing. We all want to go our own way. Dumb sheep have nothing on us. And I think that may be why, of course, we're referenced as sheep. We don't even know we're lost, folks, until someone comes from heaven seeking us out. You're so disoriented, mind, heart, will. There's no way you can know your lost condition apart from the redeeming light of the gospel. Just as Jesus spoke and the world was brought into existence by the spoken word, thus 2 Corinthians remind us that he speaks light into our hearts and minds so that we see the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ, right? So, if Christ did not come to us, we would never come to him. So, if I say we must seek the Lord, let me also recall to you that by nature no one truly seeks the Lord. You say, preacher, how do you know that? Well, glad you asked. Romans chapter 3, let me remind you of the condition of man, folks. And it helps us understand the mission of why he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Romans chapter 3. Beginning in verse 10, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. And all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. 
No one does good, not even one. You see the condition of mankind. Harry Ironside liked to tell a story about a newly converted brother who gave his testimony on a Wednesday night meeting. The new convert gave great glory to God for his salvation. And after the meeting, an older, supposedly wiser brother took him to the side and said, Man, that was a good testimony, but you left one thing out. He said, What was that? You left out your part in salvation. The new convert thought about that for a moment. Then he replied, Brother, my part in salvation was to run from God as fast as I could. And the Lord's part was to run after me, find me, and save me. Hallelujah. That's our story. And you know it if you're saved today. Right? This is indeed the testimony of every child of God. We were lost until Jesus found us. Sometimes we encourage sinners to come to Christ, which is entirely biblical. But we need to understand something. If Jesus did not first come to us, we would never come to him. That's what it means to be truly lost. That's what the word means. Lost without God. Lost without hope. Lost in a tangled web of sin. Lost and trapped forever. What then is our hope? If we are so hopelessly lost, we find it in the answers of this text, right? Jesus has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He did not come as a tourist just to check out the world. He did not come as a mere educator or an itinerant philosopher. He came as a savior to seek and to save that which was lost. That's Christmas. And that's it. That's why he came. Take all the lights and the thistle and everything. Uh, what do you call that stuff? I don't know. Anyway, take it all away. Strip it all off. And understand that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. If we're talking about God entering this world. God making footprints on the earth. We're talking about a, a come down kind of gospel. God coming down from heaven, folks. That's why he came. Now, what are the implications of that for us today? He came to reveal God to us, came on a radical, radical mission to do what? Save mankind because of our sinful condition. What are the implications this morning for you and me? Here's the first one. Since Christ came to save, the sinner is without excuse. I want to remind you of what the Bible says in the book of Romans, just so you understand that it's not only the gospel of Jesus and specific revelation that makes you guilty. And without excuse. Did you know that the fact that God made the world leaves you without excuse before God? If God only gave you general revelation, meaning that you can look up and see that this world got here by some way and it wasn't the Big Bang Theory. God Almighty created it. Listen to Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we are without excuse. Now, let's couple that with the fact that the Son of God came down from heaven. And he has made known God to us, full of grace and truth. In Him we see God's love. In Him we see God's mercy. In Him we see together holiness and justice. In Him He's full of grace and truth. Well, when we heard this, what did we do? When we heard the words, saw His miracles, listened to His voice, considered His offer, 
What does the Bible say in Acts chapter 2? They put him to death. We've read the Gospels, haven't we? Peter would tell them, straightforward, you crucified the Son of Glory. And so that was the response. We know about Jesus. We've heard the stories over and over again. But what will happen to us if we know about Jesus and still refuse him? What will be the end of having heard the gospel and the truth and yet neglecting it? Here's a frightening fact. The same gospel that saves is the very same gospel that condemns. You do realize that, I hope. What excuse could you give that would satisfy the Lord God of eternity who made this world and then entered this world to die for you? Have you ever contemplated that? Man is without excuse, folks. You're without excuse because the God of eternity spoke this world in creation. Made everything that there is. And then not only did he make this world, he entered into the world he made. And condescended from heaven in order to pay the penalty for your sin and mine. To be our substitute. To be our atonement. That's the gospel. What sufficient reason would you have for saying no to God's own son? I want to remind you of John 3.16, which is wonderful news. The Bible says, for God loved this world in this manner that he gave his only one son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's such wonderful news for sinners. Amen? Have you ever read the verses that follow it? Two verses that follow it say this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned past perfect already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The same gospel that saves is the same gospel that condemns. Put this in brackets, parentheses, condemned already. That's the state of the whole human race without Christ. If you're lost today, in that state, you're condemned already. That's not my words. Of course, I did say that. But that's what the Bible says. Condemned already. The best among us are just wretches in need of God's grace. And the rest of us, for lack of a better way of saying it, are wretches squared. Isn't that true? Yes, it is. Bottom line. Here's the bottom line. Sin has infected your mind, your conscience, your emotions, your will, your intellect, your moral reasoning, your decision making, and even your words and deeds. No part of life is exempt from the effects, the debilitating effects of sin upon us. As someone has once said, if sin were blue, we'd be blue all over, right? Part would be dark blue, the other part would be sky blue, and the other part light blue. But the fact of the matter is, there's going to be one shade of blue on every one of us at all times because we're sinners. What sinners need is salvation, not reformation. What sinners need is not more lectures on morality. What you need is forgiveness. And that's why Jesus came. They need, we need new life. What we need, only Jesus could provide. You understand that's the gospel, and that's why it's exclusive. When you use a term like exclusivity of Christ, that means there's no other way to the Father except through Christ. There's no other means of salvation except through Jesus. There is no entrance into heaven apart from Christ. That's what we mean. What sinners need, only Jesus can provide. When God gave us his only son to hang on a tree like a common criminal, folks, I want to tell you, he gave his very best. He gave himself. Don't you love the song? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Say it. 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. And finally, since Christ came, not only are we without excuse, but since Christ came to save the lost, the worst may be saved. Well, I find myself in that category, don't you? When you look into the mirror of the Word of God every day, and you look at yourself, we're so, we would have to say, God, you saved the worst of sinners in me. We all have a thousand skeletons rattling around in our closets. So don't look at me so spiritual. Every single one of you. Skeletons slap full in our closet. We discussed that a little bit last week. What if we projected on the screen your thought life for the last hour? One British novelist said if we just did that and think about it for a moment and put up our thoughts we would probably all deserve 12 executions. I would add into that only 12? Really? Uh. Did you know that you never know what sin you might or might not commit? Do you understand you have that propensity? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's what I mean by a thousand skeletons in the closet. Things are rarely the way they seem to be. Right? You can't really tell by looking on the outside what's going on in the inside in the heart, can we? So let us repeat this phrase one more time, right? For our encouragement. Solemn but joyful news. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Aren't you thankful that there are no limits on the grace of God? Corey Ten Boom liked to say, there's no pit so deep that the love of God cannot go deeper still. Man, I'm thankful for that. You should be too. I still believe in the concept of what's called instantaneous conversion. Y'all believe in that? Instantaneous conversion. I believe that life can be transformed radically in one moment. But it's only Jesus Christ that can do that, right? Now, certainly the Bible presents times when people were taken from lostness to saveness immediately, right? How about Zacchaeus? Up a tree lost, down a tree saved, just like that. Pow! Jesus came seeking, changed his life. I give back fourfold everything I've taken from everybody. That's called change. Now think about it. When grace comes seeking and conceiving and calling and faith responds to grace, what happens? A life is transformed. When I get into Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10 at the first of the year, you don't want to miss that sermon. That God has revealed to us the mystery of his will. What, what's going on in the U.S.? What's going on in churches when people can sit under the preaching of the word and come to church week after week after week and never make a spiritual decision that honors God? Something is wrong. And I would testify to you that you haven't been given the wisdom of God because you're not saved. Because if you have been given the mystery of his will, which is the person of Christ who can save us from our sins ultimately, then guess what? He transforms your life. You make different decisions. You live a certain way. You have a Christian worldview. You don't see the world like the world does. You see it from the eyes of faith because you've been transformed. So I want to remind you that in the Bible there is instantaneous conversion. Now granted... There is something called spiritual growth. I'm so glad I'm not what I used to be, right? And I'm not saying that there are habits that you eventually uh, 
that God puts the spotlight on and you grow spiritually and some of these habits are hard to kick and get rid of and God grows you in faith. But I want to remind you that when it comes to forgiveness of sins and being redeemed, when God saves you, it is instantaneous conversion. He saves your soul. You may have come to church without Jesus, but you don't have to leave here without him. Right? You may have come here guilty, but you can go home forgiven. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. That's the true power of the gospel, to create a miracle of conversion in the man. Do, you have, do I have to remind you? John 3, right? You must be born again. That's the word anothen. It means to be born from above. God regenerates the heart from above. It's the work of God to save us and give us new birth. So, I want to remind you this morning that God has the ability to save your soul. Jesus came on a mission to seek and to save that which was lost. I want to remind you that God has more grace in his heart than you have sin in your life. I want to remind you that Jesus is a better savior than you are a sinner. The Bible says where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Yeah. I got one amen. But for all of us, we need to be thankful that he's a better savior than we are a sinner. You don't have to be a prisoner to your past. In Christ, you can have new life. There's a gospel song called To God Be the Glory. It's one of my favorite songs. And one line contains this. It's an encouraging line. It says, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment... From Jesus, a pardon receives. Instantaneous conversion. When you come to Jesus Christ by faith. If we understand our sin, that it's an offense to Almighty God, then you know what? We're all equally qualified as the vilest offender. That's all of us. When we believe in Jesus, that very moment, instantaneous conversion. Our sins are pardoned. And I know it's sometimes hard to believe that, right? In our human standing. But that's what the Bible says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you qualify as lost this morning, then you're an excellent candidate for salvation. You are. If you're a sinner, Christ came seeking you. When Charles Spurgeon preached on this text, he actually imagined a sinner longing for salvation, waiting for the Lord to find them. And this is what Spurgeon said. Do not give up in despair because Jesus seems long in coming to find you. He has a piercing eye to see you, and he has a swift foot to leap o'er mountains after you, and ready hand to grasp you, and strong shoulders on which to bear his wandering sheep home to the fold. Wow. With that said, there's hope for every person hearing these words, because Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. As preachers like to say during the invitation, won't you come? Won't you come to Jesus? And when you come to Jesus you will find that he's already come to you. Father, we thank you for the gospel. It's good news. The Son of Man has entered this world to seek and to save that which was lost. We're reminded in Daniel 7 that your kingdom will be a kingdom that will last forever. You are filling your kingdom every single day all over this world when you bring salvation to other people. When you save souls, Lord God, 
and you got, you've got the goods to get it done, and you're going to accomplish your purpose. And the end will not come until you bring that gospel to the last person. God, help us uh, to proclaim that message. Help us to think about it during this season. Lord, everybody in this building that's a believer should be able to share that verse with people in this community and say, well, here's the real meaning of Christmas. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. God, help us. If there's a person lost today in this room, God Almighty, would you open their hearts to the gospel? That's why you came, to seek and to save that which was lost. You're going to bear your sheep on your shoulder and bring them into the fold. We have confidence in your saving ability. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. Daniel's going to lead us. The altar is open. If you don't know the Lord, on the first note, would you respond? If you need to know Jesus, you need to be saved. The Bible says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's sing together. Just stand. Come just as you are. Hear the Spirit call. Come just as you Thank you, brother. Oh, you may be seated just for one moment. Come just as you are, but when you come to Christ, you won't remain as you are, right? He'll change you every single time. Um, last Sunday night, we had a, a conference, and we put forward the budget. You've had it for a couple of weeks, and it's, I think it's vitally important that our church affirm what the stewardship has put forward for our church regarding the budget for 2021. And it reads as follows. The Stewardship Committee of First Baptist Church Ozark moves that the church family approve and financially support the 2021 proposed budget that's been given to you in the quarterly reports. And so what I want to do today is just affirm that, right? Because when you say yes, that means you're saying I'm committed to support my church family and this particular budget. All right? So all in favor, raise your right hand if you're a church member. 
All against, same sign. Well, no, no against. That means you're, you were afraid to say no. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but look, God has been so good to our church. Uh, those financials that Don shared the other night are amazing. That uh, this church is some $200,000 to the good this year. Uh, and During COVID, uh, we have people who are sending in sending money to our church that listen on the internet that have never been to our church. Don't even live in our state. That's just how good God has been to our church during these days. So praise God for that. And I appreciate each one of you. Uh, We look uh, forward to this coming year in 2021 and hopefully we'll have less COVID around. Amen. I'm sure Brother David would say that. Let me give you an announcement. Uh, Orchestra practice is tonight at 4.30. Okay? Didn't they do a good job today? Appreciate y'all playing. And then choir will will practice tonight at 5. And at 5.30, we will have the Lord's Supper. Okay? Uh, I'm not preaching a sermon. We're going to have some music. And we'll read the text of Scripture. And don't be afraid because you notice how we have the pews. This is the way we'll sit tonight. So we'll be able to go in between the pews and serve you with gloves on, with mask on. We'll serve you... uh, the, the drink, the cup, and the, the wafer bread, okay? So, uh, all good, all right? Hope you'll come back tonight. I think it'll be really special for you and your family uh, to take part in the Lord's Supper. For us to join together as a body and say, yes, we have been forgiven. Thank God for grace, okay? Uh, anything I may have missed? <laughs> oh, Daniel's hiding back there. All right. Love each one of you. Y'all have a wonderful day. Y'all- a chance to get out so I can greet you, okay?